friends. Welcome to the Creative Impact Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Caldwell, and I'm so happy you're here. Each episode, I take some time to chat with fellow artists about life, faith, and the impact of the arts. Instead, team culture is more importantly focused on belonging. I want you to be you and who you are, and I want who you are to belong to this group. So like to be your whole self and to be exactly who you are and not trying to, you know, change that to fit the mold. And so a positive team culture that actually focuses on belonging rather than fitting in can be kind of that best vehicle where you can let people be truly who they are. And that's going to help them learn all those good lessons because they're not constantly trying to be something they're not. Hey friends, welcome to episode 81. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Today is our final conversation in the Positive Team Culture series. For those who may be joining us for the first time today, we've been diving into what it looks like to have a healthy and thriving team. Throughout the month of November, each episode has been focused on developing and cultivating a positive team culture. While the context of this series is dance team culture, the content is applicable to all teams and relationships. If you haven't already, I encourage you to listen back to all the episodes in this mini-series, starting with episode 77. For part 5, I am so grateful to have had the opportunity to connect with Dr. Chelsea Parati. I first heard about Chelsea through her business, Passionate Coach, and I was so encouraged by her resources as a director myself. It was so fun to get to talk to her and hear more about her journey, as well as get to learn from all the insights she brings with her background in sports psychology. You'll hear me introduce Chelsea at the beginning of our conversation, and we spend some time talking about Chelsea's journey getting into dance, as well as her experiences as a dance coach and what led her to get her PhD in sports psychology. Through her business and her Passion for Dance podcast, Chelsea has had the opportunity to work with a variety of teams from all around the nation. We get into topics like the difference between belonging and fitting in, signs of a healthy versus unhealthy team culture, the importance of not only setting, but following through with team values in our words as leaders and how that can really shape our team's self-talk. I love how Chelsea asks, what lessons are we really trying to teach our students and taking time to reflect and adjust as needed? While this mini-series is wrapping up today, I'm super excited to let you know that for next week's episode, I'm going to be joined again by Mary Wint, who is our guest for part one of this series, and this time we're flipping the mic, and she's going to be interviewing me about my new book, Healthy Relationships Equals Healthy Team. I'll also be sharing details about the launch day and how you can get involved as well. We're so excited to have you join us for that conversation. Just to give you an idea of what's coming next, I am so excited that as we get closer to the holidays with Christmas and New Year's, I'm going to be sharing some really special episodes looking at stories of faith. It's going to be incredible, you guys. There's so much goodness in store as we get into December, and I'm so glad that you are along for the journey. All right. Well, I am so excited that you're here. Thank you for listening and enjoy my conversation with Dr. Chelsea Parati. I'm so excited to be here with Chelsea Parati. Thank you so much for joining me today, Chelsea. Absolutely. I'm so excited to be here. Yes. It's super fun to get to connect with a fellow podcaster. And I feel like someone who has also just got a really similar heart for dance teachers and for dancers and to be able to share positive resources with them. So 
Absolutely. I love, we're definitely like-minded in what we're doing. So I'm, I'm happy to be here. Yes. Well, just to introduce Chelsea, Chelsea was a professional ballet dancer and also a successful high school dance coach for over a decade. She's won multiple state championship titles and was recognized as Colorado's Dance Coach of the Year and twice as the National Dance Coaches Association Associate of the Year. Chelsea also has a PhD in sports psychology, which I'm really excited to talk to you about today. Yeah. (laughs) And is a teaching assistant professor at the University of Colorado in Boulder. So I actually came to know your work, Chelsea, through your passionate coach business. And Mm -hmm. so it's really awesome. I love how you provide so many great resources for dancers, dance educators. And I think the things that I've seen are more on the digital side, but I know you also go and do workshops and speak in person as well. So just super excited to have you and your expertise in like mindset and confidence, resilience, all of those things that make an impact on, on dancers and on performers. So Absolutely. Well, thank you for that intro. It's always so weird to like sit and listen to your own stuff sometimes, but so true. (laughs) you make it sound great. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Yes. Well, is there anything else you want to share with our listeners and then we'll jump in? Uh, No, I mean, I think that covers the basics of it. Yeah. Let's just jump into it. Perfect. Well, I would love to hear because most of our listeners are probably dancers or at least in the arts realm, just kind of a little bit of your background with dance and sort of what got you into it. Yeah. So I mostly studio kid. I think like a lot of us, I started in uh, rec dance as a little kid, did other sports, tried, you know, gymnastics and soccer and other things, but it was clear pretty early on the dance was going to be my thing. Right. And so went into studio uh, a little bit later and actually really found ballet at about 11 or 12. And that's when it really kind of clicked. So while that's young in the ballet world, that's late, Mm -hmm. but I still fell in love with that. And so did kind of traditional studio stuff all through high school, competing a lot in, uh, you know, contemporary and jazz mostly, um, with a lot of ballet training going on to help support that. But then I just truly literally loved the ballet side. So I did some summer apprenticeship work and eventually was able to be a professional, which was a wonderful kind of phase of that career. And then started coaching and that was a a weird transition. That's a whole long story, but the bulk of it is my little sister was on the high school team. They didn't have a coach. They said, please come help us. Or we can't have, you know, we need you. I said, I have never done high school dance, but sure. Right. And it just became a whole other passion. So then, as you said, I coached for a long time and that kind of led to creating the business and the work that I do now. Yes. I think that's so cool. Just, you know, everyone's story is so different, but just the journey that you took to get to where you are today. And I am also a fellow ballet like ballet is my first love. Yeah. <laughs> so grew up in ballet studio as well and doing like pre-professional ballet company stuff. And then a little bit, it shifted into modern dance more after college, mm-hmm. but, but yeah. I definitely have that, that heart in me for yes. ballet. So, well, and I love like the journey was not the plan. Like yes. it was not a planned journey by any means, mm-hmm. but I think that's some of what makes it the best because he didn't know where it was going. Exactly. Exactly. So first, maybe we'll start with kind of just your experiences as a coach and in the work that you do now. And then we'll maybe get a little bit more specific into the positive team culture stuff that we're going to talk about. So yeah, what were maybe some of the most impactful moments for you as a coach? I feel like the impactful moments were the ones when my dancers were done and had graduated and moved on. Mm. It was, it was more so after the fact when I would be able to 
I mean, I've been doing this a long time now. So go to weddings and baby showers and, you know, those things. But when you feel the impact so much later, right, that it it wasn't in the moment in rehearsals or in practices, it was later when I started to recognize how much those little lessons were holding on. Mm, yeah. I think of a specific, I guess I, one specific moment I had a former dancer that had gone on to college and she was applying to grad school and she wrote me a beautiful handwritten note because my dancers know I love handwritten thank you cards. I yes. fully believe in the important value of that. And so me she wrote too. me, <laughs> she wrote me a handwritten note and just said that she was applying to grad school, but was using so many of the like goal setting and mindset stuff that she learned as a part of being on our team to getting into grad school. And she was just grateful for that kind of lesson on how to prepare for a huge life goal like that. And so those kind of moments where I feel like, okay, this is so much more than the four years I knew you in high school and kind of where they're able to take that. That's so amazing. And it really is so much more than dance or whatever the activity is that we're doing, you know, and that is beautiful in and of itself, but it's those life lessons and those things that stick with them. So I'm super curious what led you to get your PhD in sports psychology. Yeah. Also, uh, not a straight line journey, (laughs) not planned either. Um, I knew I wanted grad school. That was always the plan. I've always had a love of academia and school in general. Then I thought I wanted a clinical PhD in psychology. I did some work in my master's that had internships and kind of the practical work. And in doing that, I realized it's not what I wanted. And like, I encourage a lot of people in our journey, especially in our twenties, there's a lot of what you think you're supposed to do. And then a recognition of like, maybe this actually isn't it. And like, Mm. you know, I always felt like I was on a, you know, high speed train towards my goal. And I had to like bail off the train. Like, this is not what I want. And that's hard to do. It's hard to pull away from what felt like a life dream, but it was the right Mm -hmm. thing. I took a year. I just worked and lots of reflection and lots of trying to decide what to do. Uh, I was coaching that whole time Mm -hmm. and I've always loved that. And so I basically just discovered sports psychology later. I realized that my coaching love and my psychology love actually did have a combined path that I could do both. Oh uh, yeah. So that's cool. once I realized sports psychology was even a thing, then it all completely clicked immediately. And it's like, this is what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And I have never looked back. Love that. It all just lined yeah. up. And I think that speaks a lot to just the power of reflection and self-awareness, mm-hmm. you know, and being yes. able to evaluate, you know, what is, what are the things that I actually do thrive in and, you know, that yeah, kind of thing. It can absolutely. be challenging, like you said, to to not just go off of either other people's expectations or kind of the previous plan that we had in our minds. Yeah. So, yeah, I think a lot of us are are big planners and big. We're, we have big goals. We have big plans, and to decide to let go of a goal is hard. Mm-hmm. And or even just pivot. Like I, I knew I still wanted to go on to school, but I knew it was different. And the unknown, I, you know, I had to sit in the unknown for a while and that doesn't feel good, no, but, super uncomfortable. <laughs> but, I, but I got there. It yes. turned out to be the right thing. That's so cool. So how has your experience with sports psychology impacted your work with dance teams? So, cause at the time you were going through getting your PhD, you're still coaching, right? Mm-hmm. Cool. Did. So how did yeah. that kind of, did it shift the way that you were coaching? It was interesting. I don't think it changed a lot about how I coached. And maybe that's why I aligned so much with the work because mm-hmm. it was what felt intuitive to me. And I was like, oh, there's a lot of research behind this. Yes, cool. It makes sense. So in a way, actually coaching influenced my PhD because my research was around dance teams. Yes. I got to research in performance because a lot of sports psychology is 
early research is rooted in kind of the big sports of baseball, rugby, football, mm-hmm. soccer, stuff like that. And I was like, but we perform and we compete. Right. And so I was able to apply a lot of it in there. So that definitely influenced it, but it did influence me as a coach in the sense that I was just a lot more aware and intentional than I think I had been before. And I think if I coached now, I would be different than I was, you know, in my twenties, I would have looked at it differently and approached it a little bit, right. not a huge shift in who I am as a coach, but just the, the much more intentional about how I handle situations or how I approach even the whole season. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. And yeah. I didn't necessarily say this at the beginning, but your work has been really helpful for me. I was head dance director for five years at a high school here in Houston area. Well, Sugarland, which is like right outside of Houston (laughs) for people that know. (laughs) Yeah. And just loved the resources that you have out there. And well, thank you. Yeah. And just helping dancers, helping to push them in a positive way. Um, Mm -hmm. Cause I feel like it can, it can be challenging and there's just so many things that we're juggling and figuring out, you know, what are some effective tools to use along the way. So Definitely appreciate that. And oh, that means a lot. Thank you. And that's what made me think of you for just this whole conversation around team culture and building a positive team culture. So, as we get into that, I'm just curious to hear what are your thoughts on the value of being part of a team just in general? Oh, yeah. Just in general, it's, I think, being a part of a team is one of those life lessons, like we were saying whether it's middle school, high school, college, like that's, it's going to carry with you in a very different way. And I do think school teams are unique, even from studio teams, but studio teams can have the same value and impact uh, that you, you have a common mission and a common goal that is uh, sometimes you have to be self-sacrificing in order to do that. And when you build each other up, you're more successful than if you have that internal competition. Mm-hmm. And so I just think big picture, it's that lesson of how valuable that is. There's actually uh, fortune 500s did a really interesting kind of internal survey with their companies that I think like 95% of CEOs in the fortune 500 played sports. Really? And That's cool. here's something about like, we learn leadership and we learn, you know, motivation and that kind of drive. We learn so many wonderful lessons from being in a team specifically. Mm-hmm. So I think that's just such a huge value to being in any sport. And then of course, I just love to do it with dance. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So why do you think it matters to have a positive team culture, especially in dance team, but really in any team? Sure. Well, in, in sports psychology, when we look at positive team culture and the impact, and there's a lot of kind of conversation where people will say, you know, sports teaches you these life lessons and they're so great. And, you know, we encourage parents to put your kids in sports and that's real and good, but it only has the positive impact if it's a positive culture. Like mm-hmm. Just being in a sport doesn't automatically mean you're going to learn how to be a good teammate and learn how to lead and how to follow. And just mm-hmm. being in sport alone doesn't do that. It That's has good. to be the right vehicle. Mm-hmm. And so the positive team culture is like how those good things come of it. Otherwise it kind of can have the negative impact and it can go the other way. Right. So yeah. It's kind of have the diminishing returns or something. Like yeah, that. exactly. So like sport itself is not teaching you the lesson. It's mm-hmm. the, you know, the culture around it and the, and the coach and the director and the teacher who has a big part of what's making that happen. Yes. So what do you think are some of the major factors that impact team culture? Yeah. Oh, so many good things. I guess one that I maybe might be a different way to think about it is belonging. And Ooh, yeah. I want to say that belonging is importantly different and actually really the opposite of fitting in. Mm -hmm. And 
So as part of a team culture, I think we often will say like, I want everyone to fit in. I want everyone to be a part of the team. And what actually starts to happen is by trying to fit in, that means, okay, we have a way that we are supposed to be and everyone needs to be like that. Mm, yeah. And that could be everything from, you know, how we talk to each other, you know, the conversations we have to outward appearance and it becomes, you know, you're supposed to wear this, your hair is supposed to be this way. You know, it's a, it's a fitting in, which I think can be very damaging, right? When we're Mm -hmm. expecting someone to like ignore who you are, fit into us. Yeah. And instead team culture is more importantly focused on belonging. I want you to be you and who you are. And I want who you are to belong to this group. So like to be your whole self and to be exactly who you are and not trying to, you know, change that to fit the mold. And so a positive team culture that actually focuses on belonging rather than fitting in can be kind of that best vehicle where you can let people be truly who they are. And that's going to help them learn all those good lessons because they're not constantly trying to be something they're not. Right. Yeah. That's super powerful to... To think of it from a place of belonging. And I think all of us are looking for that connection, right? To feel like I have a place where I can I can be myself and connect yeah. with other people. So any other things that you feel like are yeah. important factors? Oh, I mean, yes. There's just so many, there's, there's so many, many things. <laughs> I think things like communication. I'm very anti-hierarchy. I think when teams yeah. have a clear, especially like school teams, there's like a natural seniors are seniors kind of hierarchy, (laughs) even at studios, sometimes it's talent-based, sometimes it's years, but there feels like such a hierarchy. And I think that can destroy team culture Mm. that you can have wonderful, positive contributions from your team members who are not as talented in the technical sense, but maybe they are, you know, they're a huge contribution in the sense of belonging and in that team culture. So yeah, anti- hierarchy yeah. <laughs> and getting, getting rid of that. That is a big thing with team culture um, and making sure everyone is able to truly be themselves and belong in the program mm-hmm. uh, rather than fitting in to uh, what already exists. Love it. Yes. Yeah. So when you think back on your time as a coach or even just working with teams now, what are some warning signs that you see of a team that's not in a healthy place? Yeah. One of them that I can feel when I'm working with teams, when there's a really strong fear of failure. Yeah, that's a good one. Fear of failure is going to happen personally. Like there's people who are just individually going to have that mindset, even if they're in a positive culture. Mm -hmm. But when it feels like the entire team and it is really like overtaking everything else. I've done, you know, some workshops with teams when I go to talk to them about being confident at competition. And it's clear that their whole focus is like, we have to be perfect. Mm. And a lot of times if it's that pervasive with the entire team, there's a whole culture around the need for perfection or shame when you're not. Mm -hmm. And so if they're being shamed for any sort of failure, then I feel like that fear of perfection that's for everyone is a big red flag that there's problems. That's a good one. And pretty identifiable. It's probably easier when you're on the outside coming in, (laughs) maybe to recognize it. I think that's something that, you know, we can all like evaluate and see, do we see this as a theme amongst our our students, you know, and how can we address that and that kind of stuff? So. Yeah. And there's definitely, there's going to be dancers who have that strong fear of failure. Again, even if their coach is doing all the right things, right. There's people who are going to just have that personality, but if it really, it feels like the whole team or when you're talking to them about like 
you know, what does success feel like mm-hmm. in this competition? And I can, again, maybe it's the being the outsider, but I can feel the difference when teams are like, we just want to be our best. I'm like, you're just saying that you want to win or it's not okay. Yeah. Like, there's, so they're like saying what they're supposed to say, but you can tell it's not actually how they feel. Right. It's not really rooted. Like they actually have to be perfect or they're going to be mad at themselves mm-hmm. or they're worried coaches are mad or parents are mad or whatever it is. So that knowing the difference between maybe what they're saying and how they're actually behaving and talking amongst themselves and treating themselves. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And I think something that I love about what you do is the idea of focusing in on our values and, you know, making that pretty clear, you know, to the team and helping that be the, the foundation. So I'm just curious, how would you encourage coaches and directors to set and then uphold values for their team. I think sometimes it's easy to like at the beginning of the year, yay, we're like creating our core values. And I've been guilty of this as well. (laughs) Yeah. And then just sort of like, okay. And then moving on and not really digging into it throughout the year. Yeah. Yes. A hundred percent. I always really strongly encourage coaches and studio teachers to do it. Just, um, it is a really strong foundation, but yeah, to your point, if you don't do anything with it, then yeah. it doesn't quite help. So early in the season, having a values conversation, and I actually do it yearly. So it's not like a studio values that you just remind them of every year. When I talk to teams about it, I have teams I've been back to you know five years in a row. I'm like, yeah. we have new values every year because you are a different group of dancers. You're coming off of a different season. You're going into a different season. Things are just unique. There's hopefully constant growth too. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Different growth and focus. And so picking what they want the focus to be that year. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I guess the actual how to do that, you know, I've done different ways of, you know, big, long lists of values and having them kind of work together to generate and narrow it down. If you have, especially younger dancers, like middle school age, and even sometimes high school, they have a hard time. You're like, I don't know what a value, like, I don't know what that means, or I don't know what I value. <laughs> they have a hard time coming up with it. You can ask them like, what, what do you like about your best friend? You know, mm-hmm. or having them think about, okay, well, my best friend will always listen to me when I'm having a bad day or my best friend will like, so it's like, okay, then that matters to you. Mm-hmm. And that's important. Or that's something you're looking for in people you care about. So that can be a good kind of conversation starter, but you're right. It's the upholding part that's hard Mm -hmm. and getting into it. So I always will directly connect their values to their goals. So if they have a value around a sense of connection, like, okay, then we have to have a goal that's a part of that. So how are we going to make sure connection is a part of it? And is it connection emotionally? And we need to do the like intentional team building, get to know you stuff. Is it connection on the floor and we need Mm. a sense of trust? Is it connection? Like, are we physically talking, you know, some, you know, high energy routines, especially there's a lot of like actually yelling and talking on stage Mm -hmm. right? and pulling that together. So, you know, tying it to an actual goal, uh, making sure there's that strong alignment. And then you're just constantly talking about it. Like your values have to keep coming up. So if you feel like things are slipping, like, okay, we valued accountability and we're starting to show up late a lot, or people keep forgetting, you know, to bring in the right shoes or whatever it is. Like we're not going over the videos before you come in, like what's happening. Mm -hmm. And it gives you kind of a platform of like, you said this mattered when we did this back in August. And I know everything was like easy and not stressful. And now we're in the heat of competition season and now you're stressed, Mm -hmm. but you said this matters let's check back in on it. What's going on? Why are we slipping? And slipping on your values is okay. The point is that you notice it Mm -hmm. and you're able to course correct and do something about it. So 
upholding through goals and consistent kind of conversations and reorienting you back to what's important. Yes, that's so good. And that really connects well into my next question, which is, I know language is really powerful. And especially with the work that you've done in sports psychology, I'm sure like that's a huge part of it as well. So um, why do you feel like the language that we use as leaders, so whether it's a coach or even in a business, you know, just as leaders is so important? Sure. So one of my favorite aspects of thinking about language is to remember that as the leader, as the coach, as the teacher, what you say becomes their inner voice. Mm, So if they're trying, you're worried about what they're saying to themselves. If they're saying, you know, like, Oh, I'm not flexible enough. I'm like, I, my turns are terrible. Like I can't do, I hate left. I can't do left. If that's their inner voice, like what you're saying out loud is going to either support that and create that, or you can help create what's going to go against that. Mm. And many of our dancers have those internal dialogues that are really negative and they're really hard on themselves. And dance is inherently a sport that focuses on corrections and problems and what's wrong. And so I think we have to be even more intentional about saying out loud the positive self-talk you wish your dancers would say. And I think as a, as a coach, it hit me for a long, it took a while for me to figure it out that I would maybe think the positive thought. I'm like, oh, that looks so much better. I'm like, oh, look at her leg is so much higher today. Like I can tell she's worked on that choreography, but I didn't always say it out loud, you know, and not as often as I should. Mm -hmm. When, you know, I realized that, you know, the skill that they've been working on looks so much better. I'm like, hey, cool. They look better. But their inner dialogue is, I don't, I can't do this yet. I suck at this. Why don't I have this yet? I've been working so hard. I can't do it. And hearing like, I see your progress makes such a big difference. Yeah, it's like, no, you don't huge. have it yet, but that's okay. Yeah. Like you don't have it yet. Like let's keep going. Exactly. So from a language point of view, back to your point, mm-hmm. uh, that what you're saying out loud is going to help overwrite their negative self-talk. And especially with the younger ones, it's creating it in the first place. It's yeah. really kind of establishing what that self-talk is going to be. So, so true. And it's kind of incredible, just the power of our mindset and the power of the voice or our inner talk, you know? Yes. And I think that's such a good reminder for everybody. I think we kind of know that, but you know, we don't always really reflect and evaluate. Like you said, am I just Mm -hmm. saying that in my head and I'm not actually verbalizing it to my, to my students, you know? Yes. Yes. Or to my team, whoever it is. So yeah. And speaking of the mindset, I feel like growth mindset is really like a powerful concept as well. The difference between Mm -hmm. fixed mindset and growth mindset. And do you want to go into that a little bit and just kind of any practical tips for building growth mindset in our students? Sure. So yeah, this has become one of my most popular workshops. And I think it says a lot about how much mindset is important and how strong fixed mindsets are in the Mm -hmm. dance industry. I think they're, it's, they're everywhere. And so, you know, fixed mindset is that basic sense that like my dance talent is fixed. I have a certain amount of talent. It doesn't matter how hard I try. I won't be able to do that. So fixed mindset, things you might hear, the ones I hear all the time. Uh, I can't do left. I'm not flexible. I'm not a hip hop dancer. I can't turn. I can't, like, I'm not, we know as soon as our dancers start to label themselves of like what they're good at. And then they also have all these labels of like, no, I can't do that. I'm not good at that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I hear those fixed mindset things all the time where growth mindset is more of that sense that I, okay, I can't do it yet, but I know if I work hard at it and I put the effort into it, I know I can get better. So that general belief, right. That effort and time 
will lead to more talent. Yes. So practically speaking, I think with growth mindset, it's you're again with that self-talk, you're constantly combating the fixed mindset self-talk. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's not self-talk. Sometimes they say it out loud. Right. <laughs> you hear it all the time. But or the groan uh, before left side. The right? groan. <laughs> yes, exactly. The groan, the body language before left side, you know, the I see it too. And it's like, okay, everybody go work on something while I, you know, fix this small group. When they go off and work on their own, they tend to work on the stuff they're already good at. Yeah. Like they don't want to, we don't want to work on the stuff we're not good at because somebody might see me or somebody uh-huh. might see it not look good. Mm-hmm. So practically speaking, I always try to talk to coaches and dancers about creating that culture where mistakes are okay, right? That we have this idea and it happens everywhere that I've ever been in dance that like, if you are going across the floor and you fall, everybody claps mm-hmm. and that happens everywhere. But I feel like it's become this like, Oh, we clap rather than like, no, there's actually something really beautiful to that. Yeah. You went, you went for it and you fell and we're, we're okay. Like get back up, mm-hmm. keep going. Yeah. Um. So celebrating effort, not just when you get the skill. So especially when for our teachers out there who have more advanced dancers, so they're not going to get a skill in one class. It's going to take months for them to get this skill or years, right? Mm-hmm. And helping them notice the progress. Cause if they're trying to, I don't know, go from a double to a triple turn and it might take months and they're like, I can't do it. I can't do it. And they, yeah. they don't see the progress. Then us as teachers being able to see like, no, but actually the way you're holding your back is so much stronger than you were before. Or like your posse is totally connected now. Like keep that going. Now let's focus on your arms or your spot, mm-hmm. like helping them see the progress is a great way for them to notice like, no, you are getting better. It's okay. You know, you don't see it all the time, but you're getting there. And that's the phrase I tell dancers to use because it's the easiest to remember. If they have the negative self-talk of like, I can't do this or I'm not flexible. It's like, just add yet. Like I'm not flexible yet. Yet. I can't do that turn yet. Uh Right. And kind of reminding yourself that like, but you, that implies, but you will get there, right. That the effort and the time Mm -hmm. uh, will make it happen. So, right. And it's worth it. Totally worth it. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) And I think that's the beauty of a coach is that voice that can help you push that next level or see the potential and see the growth, even in that little tiny bit, you know, as it goes along the way. Yes. So cool. So one of the things that I saw that you had on your website, which I just thought was like, So good. And it's something that's part of what you talk about a lot is that we can learn the same incredible life lessons through dance without the negativity. And unfortunately it has been, you know, kind of common to have that negativity in dance and kind of almost feeling like, oh, I was cut down as a dancer. So now I should do that to my students because that's how we grow. I guess like, I don't know. Yeah. I'm using air quotes. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, just curious your thoughts on that and, yeah. Any, anything you want to share on that topic? Right. I, you're right. I do talk about a lot. I think it's become kind of the foundation of all of my work that dance as an industry, again, is very focused on correction and what's wrong. And mm-hmm. I mean, if you hear people even say like, we have to, you know, beat them down to build them back up. Like that's just a big sport thing, right? Like if mm-hmm. I, if I tear you down, I can build you back up. And I don't, agree with that phrase. I think I know I get where people are coming from, but it's, we don't have to take that approach and you can still have the same important, positive life lessons, you know, and like with dance in schools, it's really common for coaches to use like a demerit system 
or, you know, ballet companies, it's constantly talking about what's wrong and not like what mm-hmm. you have earned or what's going well, right? Like you, right, I think all of the nitpicking, all the mm-hmm. nitpicking and, and even just the way like ballet company auditions work that it's like, you know, line up and I'll watch plies and you're out, you know, like you don't even yes. get a chance <laughs> to do, you know, to actually dance. So I guess that's kind of become my mission is like, how can we shift our entire sport culture and dance to be one that is focused on the growth and the progress and the positive. Like if, what do you really want them to learn? Do you want them to learn to be scared of you and to, so that they don't screw up again? It's like, that's, that's probably what you're teaching them is how do I not mess up? So I don't get yelled at not, you know, Mm. better time management so that I'm not late all the time. Or, you know, if I want them to learn that like grit and that fight, we have to encourage the growth mindset instead of telling them that they're never going to be enough, you know? Yeah. So I guess it's, uh, that is again, my mission to try to figure out what that answer is <laughs> to try to nice. shift this whole culture. But I, I believe it can be done. Yeah. I'm super grateful that you're doing that work and that you're <laughs> helping to shift the language in, in our, you know, dance team culture, dance studio culture. So I appreciate your, your efforts in that and <laughs> continuing to thanks to speak those things, because I think it is really helpful for us to just kind of like take a step back and evaluate where is this actually leading? Right. Right. Is this just like a fear-based thing or are we actually, you know, teaching some valuable things? So that's awesome. Yeah. Um, So I typically in these conversations on the podcast ask if there's something you have on your heart to share with other artists, but I'm kind of tweaking it for this series. So do you have a word of encouragement for directors and coaches, and then also a word of encouragement for students. Cause you never know a student yeah. might listen or yes. they could pass it along. So <laughs> totally. I love it. Okay. Word of encouragement for directors and teachers. I think just to remind all of you that what you do matters, even if you don't see it right now. Mm-hmm. And we get stuck in the grind of like, I have to have class prepared or I have to go clean this routine. And it can feel very overwhelming. And that you know, what you're doing every day isn't necessarily landing. Like they're not hearing me, nothing's changed, but what you do matters. And you may not see it ever from a certain dancer, or you might not see it for years, but you are a part of such a foundational growth period in their life that your impact matters, even if you don't see it. Yeah. So good. And for dancers, if you are listening I guess I always want to encourage dancers kind of back to what we said at the very beginning to follow your own dreams and values and make sure you're not following somebody else's path. Mm. Like that. It's not about what parents want, what your dance directors want, what your best friend is doing, but just to pause and be like, what do I truly love about this? What makes me happy? What brings me that joy in dance? Mm. And there's so many ways to take dance you know, off the stage and create, make a career out of it or to do it in a professional sense. And there's so many ways, but whatever your path is to know that it's yours and then constantly reflect on that. Is this still the same path? Because maybe your path is ready to change Mm. and you can notice, take a minute to notice that so you can shift with it. Yes. Yeah. It's easy to get caught up in the comparison. Yes. And I think especially you know, with social media, there's really great things, but then there's also like seeing what everyone else is doing and kind of being like, oh, maybe I should be doing that. I should be doing that, you know? And I even feel that in myself, like having to realize like, no, I, I mean, those are great things, but I need to really hone in on what is it that I'm actually called to do or what I'm supposed to be doing, you know, and not 
adding in all this extra stuff. That's absolutely. Yeah. Well, and comparison is one of the biggest triggers for a fixed mindset. So when we start mm-hmm. comparing to everybody else is when we start to be like, Oh, but that, I can't do that. Or I don't look like that. Or I'm not going to have that same talent. And I'm the same comparison is probably my biggest fixed mindset trigger. Like I'm an expert on it. It doesn't mean it doesn't happen. <laughs> I still know it's there. So just, yeah, being able to notice when comparison is taking you off track from what you should truly be doing. Yes. Yes. I love that. So this is totally a random question. I'm just curious as, you know, fellow podcaster, creative, all the things, what is your day-to-day schedule look like and kind of your workflow? Oh boy. Uh, <laughs> it's, I actually try to be consistent about it. I'm a big fan of that, whether or not that's great or not. Uh, so I basically mm-hmm. have two that are essentially two full jobs. So I'm, as as you said, a teaching professor at university. And so I am on campus Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, teaching my classes, meeting with TAs and grading and lesson planning and all the things that come with academia. And then I am home Tuesday, Thursdays, doing mostly this kind of business work. There's a lot of cross on both sides. Like I have to do a lot of academic work when I'm here on Tuesday, Thursdays as well. Mm -hmm. But I try to yeah, kind of block that out and make sure I have big chunks of time to do certain things. I'm a big fan of batching. It's the only way I get stuff done Yes, in in both fields. I have to do it that way. Um, And my super organized color-coded calendar that tells me what I need to do each day. That's the only way it it. gets done. That's amazing. That's so cool. And how much much do you do like go out and do workshops and speaking and stuff like that versus like the virtual side? Uh, So I do... Uh, as much as I can, I travel a lot more in the summer okay, because yeah. it's often when studios and teams have the time and when I can travel a lot because I I only teach remotely at the university in the summer. So I have a lot more space oh, cool. to travel. And then I will travel some during a semester, kind of doing weekends here and there. I, on my own kind of personal balance, I, during the semester, I try to only travel once a month because my kids are pretty little and, you know, mm. I, I don't want more than that. And again, back to like, you know, what I could do versus my own values and mm-hmm. my, my values keep me home some, but yeah, I love traveling I love when I can and making sure, I mean, be, doing these sessions in person is just one of my favorite things. So it's sometimes competing values of like, mm-hmm. but this is what I truly love to do, but I, I have to rein in how many times, Yes, but I do multiple virtual sessions a month as well. Um, making sure I can mm-hmm. connect to everybody who is looking for it. Yeah. That's so great. Thanks for sharing. I was just curious. Yeah, <laughs> so cool. And I'm in like the early phase of like, okay, what does this look like? And trying to be yeah. a little more organized with it and like the batching and all of that. So yes, awesome. I'm big on organization. I can talk about that as a whole other thing, yes. <laughs> but it's the only way you can survive it. Uh-huh. Being organized. Maybe we'll have to have a whole nother conversation just about organization tips yes. and like <laughs> <Happy to. laughs> all of that. Um, so for just a fun question to end on, um, what is one of your favorite things right now? Oh, favorite things, physical things. It can be physical things. It can be pretty much literally anything. It could be a, an experience oh. or family. Oh man. Okay. That's huge. I know it's big. <laughs> okay. We're just going to go with like what comes to mind right now. Um, okay. So I am a, I'm a big reader, which obviously as an academic, I read all the time, but then I love reading for fun. It's one yeah. of my like de-stressors and one of my things. And so I read pretty fast. And so trying to find the next book was getting in, like, that was another thing on my to-do list as mm-hmm. I was running out of what to do. Um, mm-hmm. So I actually gave myself the Christmas present last year <laughs> to um, a book of the month, which oh, is, you cool. know, is huge, um, big book club. And so now every month I just pick which book I'm like, oh, that one looks fun. This one looks mm-hmm. cool. And they send it to me and I have the next thing to read 
kind of ready for me. And it's been able to take, like to keep that as a de-stressor fun thing that, right. you know, yeah. like keeping it in that place. So having somebody else who is, you know, an expert in the industry selecting what's new and sending it to me. And then it's also aligned with kind of a goal for me recently to be more diverse in my reading. And so I'm getting more diverse authors, more diverse genres, more and all of that, which yeah. has been, again, like I, it was a big goal, but I was like, I don't know how, when. And so now I have they do it for me. <laughs> and it's so been nice. really yeah. fun this year. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's super fun. And I like that it's keeping it fun and keeping it, yes. you know, your your hobby rather than like another thing on your list. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I don't need more. I don't no. need more on my list. I need fun. <laughs> exactly. Well, I would love to let people know how they can connect with you and with your podcast and passionate coach, all yeah. of the things. So you want to just share yeah. the best way to do that. Sure. Absolutely. So my podcast may be the best way to kind of get introduced into my world. It's called Passion for Dance. I talk about all things sports psychology and dance. So all the all of the episodes have something to do with either mindset, motivation, resilience, or community. So I have lots of interviews on there as well mm-hmm. with um, different people in our industry and how they are kind of supporting the mental side of what we do. Uh, so yeah, Passion for Dance would be a great way to kind of get connected. And then my website is just my name, ChelseaParati.com. And Parati is complicated, I know. So it's P-I-E-R-O-T-T-I. So just ChelseaParati.com, or you can find me on Instagram as well. Perfect. And I'm happy to chat there. Yeah, yeah. that would be awesome. Well, I definitely encourage everyone to go check out the podcast and get connected with Chelsea. And I'm just so grateful for you. And thank you for all the work yeah. that you're doing and for your willingness to come on and share your heart. So of course, thank you so much. I really appreciate the time and I love what you're doing as well, Rachel. Thank you. Oh, thank you. so good you guys i am just so grateful for dr chelsea parati coming on the show and sharing her wisdom with us and her experience what an incredible way to end our positive team culture november mini series i hope this has brought a ton of value to you and helped to encourage you in your role as a leader a coach a director a teacher wherever you may find yourself you can find all the links, the full show notes, and additional resources on our website, creativeimpactpodcast.com. If you're enjoying the show, I invite you to subscribe wherever you're listening and to share the show with a friend. It really does make a difference every time you share an episode. I'm a bit nervous, but also super excited for next week as we flip the mic and do a Q&A about my new book, Healthy Relationships Equals Healthy Team. Listen in to hear all about the book and exciting launch day details. So grateful for every single one of you that's been reaching out and just sending encouraging messages and notes about the series as well as about the book launch. And a special shout out to our patrons who help make this show possible. If you're interested in supporting the show by monthly donations, you can check out our Patreon community where you also gain bonus content at creativeimpactpodcast.com slash Patreon. That's creativeimpactpodcast.com slash P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Thank you so much again for listening to the Creative Impact Podcast. The music for the show was produced by Michael Cash. Until next time, remember that you were designed to create. You were made to inspire. Continue living with purpose and making an impact. See you next time, friends.